Good evening and welcome to HealthBeat. Each month on WDIY, we co-produce HealthBeat with our friends at the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. Let's welcome our co-host, Edward Meehan, the Executive Director at the Pool Institute for Health. Good evening, Edward. Good evening, Greg. I'm really looking forward to this evening's conversation. Sounds great. This evening, we're going to discuss integrated community therapy, and we're pleased to welcome our special guest, Dr. Ken Thompson. And along with Dr. Thompson is Bridget Hassig. Dr. Thompson is a community and social psychiatrist who's practiced in socially traumatized and economically depressed communities his entire career, beginning at Boston City Hospital and while he was in medical school, Jacoby Hospital during his residency in the Bronx, the Connecticut Mental Health Center in New Haven and in Pittsburgh, the Hill Satellite Clinic, the Latterman Family Health Center, the HIV clinics at UPMC. And Dr. Thompson is always seeking ways to make our communities healthier. Dr. Thompson, welcome to HealthBeat. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you guys. And Bridget, you're joining us, Bridget Hassig. And Bridget, what is your position, please? Yeah, I'm the Chief of Staff and Operations with Visible Hands Collaborative, and I've been involved in social entrepreneurial ventures for about 25 years in nonprofit management. Well, welcome. On our last episode of Health Beat, we were joined by Dr. Bobby Milstein from Rethink Health at the Ripple Foundation to learn more about the role of stewardships tying into the social determinants of health. This evening, we're going to shift our conversation, more specifically addressing our current mental health crisis. Dr. Thompson, you are now with Visible Hands Collaborative. Can you talk about how you started the program? As you noted, I've been working in community mental health settings and primary health services for my entire career. And I've been uh, always a little challenged by the fact that it's extremely difficult in our model of taking care of people to make sure that we have enough clinicians who are accessible, who are affordable, and who are doing things that are useful for people uh, in terms of maintaining and promoting their health. That's been a perennial problem, and it's you know just uh, over time gotten worse. I've known and looked for, or known about and looked for, a variety of ways to increase our capacity to work with people. One of them, for example, was to really try to get into primary health services as a place to see people around their mental health challenges, rather than to have to wait to not only see a primary medical person, but also to uh, find their way into a community mental health center. So that was one way to sort of push things out and to bring resources and uh, capacity closer to people in in a more useful fashion. I'd say probably maybe 20 years ago, quite a while ago, I became aware of the fact that there was a method being developed in Brazil that would take care of people in large groups. It was it was called community therapy, and it was being practiced in a favela. And I knew only a little detail about it and really had no way to pursue it in any sort of uh, particular fashion. About five or six years ago, my daughter went to medical school and got interested in the issue of uh, psychiatry. And she also happened to have a partner who studied uh, Brazil and uh, she wanted to go spend some time there. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to find out more about this Brazilian method. I was in a conference in Britain and asked some Brazilians who happened to be there if this method was actually in practice. 
And they said, yes, it is. And uh, I came back, told Alice, my daughter, about it. And she uh, she went to uh, plan a, a period of time in Brazil during her medical school time to investigate it when, of course, COVID hit and any travel anywhere stopped. She managed to find online, though, an example of this integrative community therapy that was being practiced in Europe by a bunch of expatriates, Americans in English. So we got introduced to the idea of ICT by the uh, COVID emergency and uh, the necessity of um, having people be able to connect with and develop relationships of problem solving and mutual support um, through that. And we were able to make contact with uh, Adalberto Bejeto and um, who is the founder of this in the uh, city of Fortaleza, which is on the Northeast coast of Brazil. And with that, we were able to begin a process here in the United States of figuring out how to import and translate ICT into a, a meaningful resource for people here. Dr. Thompson, please explain exactly what is ICT. So ICT is a large group dialogic method of could be anywhere from 10 to a couple hundred people, but usually sort of in the range of 40 to 60, uh, at least in its practice in, uh, in Brazil and uh, Latin America. It started, as I noted, in a favela. And the, the concept essentially is, is that people have resources and capabilities that they can share with each other that they are not always aware of and don't always have an opportunity to, uh, to share. They also have problems that need to have solutions. So what happened with uh, uh, ICT, with integrative community therapy, may be best encapsulated by describing the sort of the origin story, which is that Dr. Bajeto was asked by his brother, who was a human rights lawyer living in a favela. Favela is a shantytown or a, a migrant camp, really, outside of a city. This uh, brother was working with this community because the police were coming in and routinely knocking down all the buildings and uprooting all the people. And the people were all refugees from the desertification of the land around, uh, so sort of early victims of climate change. They were settled in this place and they had a tremendous amount of medical, psychiatric and social burden, lots of violence, lots of substance use, lots of you know, suffering and challenge. And uh, Alberto started having some people come to see him in his clinic in the university. And he realized that this was just not adequate to the need. And he brought a bunch of his medical students out to uh, the favela and gets there. And there's like 40 or 50 people in a line waiting to see him. And the story that he tells is that he started to talk to the first woman in the line about what she was hoping to have happen. And she said, you know, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm really struggling. And he said, well, I could give you some medication to help you sleep. And she said, why bother? I can't afford to feed my children. How am I going to buy medicine? And as he talked to her, it evolved that what had actually happened was that her husband had been murdered in front of her a couple of weeks beforehand. And she was really just struggling with grief and with challenges, obviously with the sleep. And as he was talking to her, he noticed that the other people in the line started to sort of take care of her. Uh, one of them went and got her a cup of tea. Another one, you know, rubbed her feet and rubbed her back. And they just kind of all came around her to offer her support. And as Alberto tells the story, what he came out of that with was the idea that his capacity to help people with medications and some of the things that we do in, in modern psychiatry was not actually what was most needed in this community. What was most needed was a method to mobilize the resources that the community had within it 
to take care of the challenges that the people were facing. And that if he could help structure the kind of opportunity that this woman had as a result of um, being in that line and with the people around her, if he could figure out how to help the community develop that kind of capacity, that that would be the work that was most helpful and useful to the community. And that's, that's where this notion of integrative community therapy was born. Just to describe it very briefly, what happens in an ICT group is that we get people assembled. There's a, a process of welcoming people. It's critically important that people feel that this is a place for them to be. It's a safe place. It is not a place, however, where we are expecting people to uh, maintain anonymity. So it's not like an AA meeting or an NA meeting. It's a meeting of people in community talking publicly about challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day level. And then, critically, other people talking about similar challenges that they've faced and sharing ways that they have managed to deal with, overcome, or move on from the challenges that uh, that they have faced in their life. So it's a, um, a process of people describing some challenges that they have, generalizing those challenges so that they are impact on everybody in the community, and then the people in the community talking always from themselves. Everybody only talks from themselves. It's no advice giving. There's no sort of speeches or anything. People just talk about their feelings and the challenges that they face and what they've done to overcome them. And in that process of sharing, people get both new ideas about how they might think about the challenge that they face, as well as develop a sort of ongoing sense of support and connection with other people. So it builds emotional literacy, emotional solidarity, and some problem solving all at once in a process of really building a kind of community. The Brazilians call this whole thing, the whole process, solidarity care, the development of linkages and communications and connections between people that are supportive and uh, meaningful to people. It is, I think, an important thing to note, two things that I want to say. We don't ask people to share secrets because we're not looking for people to talk about things that they are not comfortable talking about in public and that they wouldn't want to have known around. So we're looking more for the day-to-day -day challenges that people face that they sometimes feel overwhelmed with. And um, we're really looking to use this as a way for folks to um, build linkages and connections. The primary goal here is for people to build linkages and connections. If there's a problem that's solved, that's a good thing, but it isn't the most critical thing. The most critical thing is the linkage and connection. And that, interestingly, is the one thing that clinical care really can't develop. Clinical care does not take a problem and develop community support around it for an individual or for the community itself. Clinical care privatizes it and puts it solely in the connection of the, the therapist or the physician and the patient or the client. And this, this is a um, different approach to uh, tying into the resources of a community and the emotional supports that come from community. One of the ways that we describe that is to say that community heals. It is important to be in community in order to fully heal. Ed, is this something that we can do in Allentown in the Lehigh Valley? I certainly think so, Greg. I, you know, the Institute is, is interested in achieving meaningful improvements in health in the Lehigh Valley. And we think a place-based approach is the right way to go, you know, community neighborhood-based approaches. So all the things that Dr. Thompson is talking about resonate very, very heavily. You know, in addition to education, safe and healthy housing and food and nutrition, well-being and, and behavioral health is really an extremely important social determinant of health. So it's something that we are thinking about and focusing on. 
And, you know, the existing behavioral health system is stressed, is so extremely stressed and challenged to meet all of the need that exists. And at the Institute, we were almost intuitively thinking, is there some way to lower the temperature in the neighborhood so that fewer people go into crisis? Is there something we can do that would be neighborhood-based or place-based that could enable people to have increased resilience, some ability to problem solve at a level that wouldn't require entry into the formal healthcare system. And so we were toying with that idea and learned about the Visible Hands Collaborative. Uh, and so rather than just you know intuitively thinking things, part of the role of the Institute is to import ideas, to innovate, to leverage, to facilitate, and try to think about how we can import thinking from elsewhere that might be, have utility in the Lehigh Valley. So come to find out that Dr. Thompson uh, is the executive director of Visible, Visible Hands Collaborative, and he and I had not spoken in about 15 or so years. So uh, we reached out and had a conversation, and it was wonderful to connect. And uh, the pure serendipity of uh, thinking about this is wonderful. This work is already in, in existence. Can we uh, introduce the idea to the Lehigh Valley? So we had a, a small conference on May 31st with about 75 people, mainly community-based organizations, healthcare uh, system folks who are interested in behavioral health. And Dr. Bretto and Dr. Thompson gave a really a lovely lecture to kind of introduce the concept. And then uh, secondarily, uh, we all, uh, well, a number of us who stayed had an opportunity to participate in an ICT session, not a full-blown ICT session, but to, in effect, introduce the concept and get some exposure and experience to it. So it's a wonderful concept. It's very innovative. Uh, I think we need to talk more with Dr. Thompson and Dr. Barreto, uh, see uh, how we can apply the utility of it in the Lehigh Valley and more work to do. But it certainly speaks to the concept that I was trying to you know, intuitively understand, which was how do you lower the temperature in the neighborhood so that fewer people go into full-blown crisis who then need the formal behavioral health system? Ms. Hassett, can you talk about deployment of a program like this? Yes, I think that there's two different answers actually to that. One is because we are part of a new movement and we are part of, I would say, reconditioning different fields as well as communities to the fact that the community that has a problem has its own solution. So part of it is really general awareness and allowing individuals to understand that this is not to replace what is happening in other fields, but is definitely meant to bring back the capacities of individual people to be able to address the challenges they may be experiencing. We call pebbles in the shoe that really create sometimes and, and morph into and cascade into bigger um, issues where a specialist is really needed. So it's really to supplement a system, but it's also to revisit coming back to community and that we don't give away our ability or our need. We don't give away our mental health. We don't give away our physical health in a um, vertical way. We also can explore horizontal ways of working with each other and being able to learn from each other's wisdom. So one is public education and generally people understanding it so they can embrace this. And then the second is normally finding a community that is ready for it. It's more than they just get acclimated to understanding it. They already probably have some systems in place that are serving them in terms of community development, you know, neighborhood connectors, people that are wanting to um, be able to solve issues. Um, there's already action going on within the community. Maybe the healthcare system is already embedded with their community health workers in a certain area. That type of environment or garden 
is really, to me, where this can thrive the best. Yeah, I believe uh, you mentioned the pebbles in the shoe. Uh, Muhammad Ali said it isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you out. It's the pebbles in the shoe. I guess what he really meant was, you know, it's the small things that need to come out. So when you get these large groups of people together, you get 60 to 70 people together and ask them to share, how long does it take somebody to emote to reach the point where they're really truthfully speaking? And not, not that they mean to not speak truthfully, but, you know, get to the – it's hard to emote and talk in front of a large group of people about what really ails you, isn't it? This is a two-part answer, I think, because uh, that Ken and I could both address. One is that in a very, very important part of ICT is not only the moderation, a peer moderation element, but there are guidelines or rules of engagement that are established at the very beginning of each opportunity, each ICT round, each community conversation that is shared. And what we experience is when the expectations are placed out, there is a shared sense of ownership that we hold each other accountable to. And that really manifests itself when there is that discussion of those expectations immediately up front. This is what you'll see. This is how we will respond. These are guidelines we agree to. And then the group holds itself accountable. The point with that also, though, is that creates an immediate sense of safety. And then the moderation really reinforces that. But I'll let Ken talk more about that, too. I'm, I'm just going to reinforce what uh, Bridget said and, and say a couple things to put a point to it. One of them is the absolute effort to try to make these groups horizontal rather than vertical. So the facilitators actually are best when they are non-clinical. You can have clinicians who can do this and do the work well, but it's actually easier when you don't have a clinical background because one, you don't have that sort of uh, hierarchy of uh, being the problem solver in mind um, and you're more part of the process in the in the community. So community health workers are the predominant folks in Brazil who do this work. And uh, right now there are about 40,000 trained facilitators in Brazil ICT is in over 40 countries, and you know we are we're bringing it to the United States and to the Anglophone world uh, for the first time. So it's it's found a home in all of Latin America and and significantly in uh, in Europe, in uh, non-English speaking Europe, and in parts of Africa and Asia. So this process of being horizontal and allowing people to um, feel welcome and connected to an important part of the first step of the ICT is to create a, a space where people feel like they can talk. And also that we ask people not to talk about stuff that's, you know, extremely secret or, you know, uh, something that they don't feel comfortable revealing. I think that helps. We have not ever had a problem getting people to start talking about things that they are faced with on a daily basis that are challenging them. It just doesn't happen that people sit there and nobody talks. Sooner or later, somebody nominates a pebble, and then we almost never just have one. So it, it does seem in this process to create the space that Bridget was was indicating that people are able to talk about things that matter to them in a way that is significant and, and follows this, this really critical rule uh, that I've mentioned and Bridget's mentioned before, which is that to learn how to speak from yourself and your own feelings is a significant thing to try to practice and do. And people do it when they are in an ICT. So Dr. Thompson, I've been reading that some of your work delves into cultural anthropology. 
take a look at Pennsylvania or perhaps Allentown, think about it, and can you maybe discuss the any unique social structures when looking at mental health and the problems that we face here in the Lehigh Valley? Well, you know, I, I know a little bit about the Lehigh Valley, I, and what I know may not be thoroughly vetted yet, but I, I have a distinct feeling that there's a connection between the Lehigh Valley and the experiences we've had in, in Pittsburgh, particularly around the changes in the development of the economy and the changes in, in the demographics of the community. One thing I'm, I'm aware of um, in Allentown and Bethlehem is that there's a, a larger Latino community, although there's a growing one in Pittsburgh. So that's a, a cultural affinity that works really well for ICT. Um, but I think that uh, other cultures as well will find and have a space for ICT as a, as a methodology. We've been working on figuring out how to anglicize this, if that's the right word, or westernize it or make it American in some sense, rather than Brazilian or, or some other country. The Brazilians, for example, and, and I wouldn't want to say this about all Americans, but certainly for some Americans, uh, the Brazilian practice of everybody standing up and dancing as soon as anybody puts music on, it's sort of how the culture operates. That doesn't work so well in, in our country, in, in some communities. People do not immediately stand up and start dancing around. It is not part of our cultural vocabulary. So we have to figure out different ways of approaching things um, and different language to use as we move forward. And that's that's been an interesting challenge um, to try to navigate these translations and figure out how to, uh, to make the process work for the communities. Our anticipation is that with Allentown, that the true unfolding of ICT would involve very much a significant input from the people of Allentown themselves and the communities and the cultures of Allentown to uh, take the framework of ICT and build into it the resources and the the cultural and, uh, and neighborhood resources that are important to the people because that's the only way that the method works. It is truly calling on people's capacities and capabilities, not just as individuals, but as agents and uh, recipients of uh, of the cultures and the communities and the families that they come from. So it is a, uh, it's a process in which um, bringing those resources and capabilities to the fore is, is really important. Ed, do people at the Pool Institute for Health see some opportunity here to deploy in the Lehigh Valley? Absolutely, Greg. I, and again, as Dr. Thompson is saying, it's it's philosophically, it's exactly where we're coming from in terms of developing capacity at the neighborhood level for problem solving. Uh, and in this in this instance, the ICT is specifically about uh, behavioral health and, and well-being, but that we're also thinking about those same concepts writ large to say how do we how do we think about problem solving about safe and healthy housing? How do we problem solve around? Uh, education attainment, early childhood education, adequate prenatal care, et cetera. And so we're looking for the authentic voice of the community to uh, be an important component part of everything we do, included in what we know about the data and existing structural uh, human service and healthcare systems. So, uh, you know, it, it rings really true. It's very consistent philosophically with where we're coming from. Uh, and uh, we're really looking forward to future conversations with Bridget and Dr. Thompson about ways that we can possibly prototype ICT in the Lehigh Valley. We just have a few minutes left. So just to, to wind this up, what happens is community discussion, large community discussions, 
bring out the pebbles of maybe things that are wrong in the community. And from there, we're able to lower the uh, amount of anxiety and mental health. Am, am I saying that right? Can you kind of wind this up for me, Dr. Thompson? Yeah, I think um, in a community, people talk about the sufferings that they have, and they learn from each other ways of managing and dealing with those sufferings. And in that process, they build social links and connections that allow them to solve and address other kinds of challenges that come their way. Because once they're able to work with each other emotionally and develop a caring and connected relationship, all kinds of other problems become much more solvable. The community that ICT started in, it's a, it was a favela. It is now a bricks and mortar community in the city of Fortaleza that people go to for the particular practice of taking care of themselves and participating in things like ICT and other activities that help them maintain and support both their own mental health, but their capabilities and capacities as community members to sustain and support other people. We see ICT as a, a very human technology uh, for community connection, for social connection, that allows us to build the communities both physically and metaphysically that we all hope to live in. Do you mind if I add something? Because sure, I think please. This is really important to the question of the heartland um, issue and is it right for Allentown, which is one of the things that we believe is that you cannot have catalyzing effective community change without human development within the community. So bricks and mortar and jobs are extraordinarily important social determinants to an individual's well-being. But unless that they are evolving themselves and allowed to find good mental well-being, it doesn't matter how many jobs are out there because they won't be maintained. There won't be effective community change. And so this is very much a heartland issue as well um, that we are involved in. So bringing people together and convening them to reestablish and create and manage economic structural change at its core requires people to be in a space where they can depend on themselves and they can depend on the community around them to be there. With that, we're out of time. I'd like to thank Bridget Hasek, Dr. Ken Thompson, and Ed Meehan. If you'd like to hear more about all the good work that these people are doing and more about Visible Hands, join us online after this program. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100 extension 4 or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you. We're back with HealthBeat, and actually this is the portion of the online program where we dig a little bit deeper into some of the issues that we just discussed on the air on WDIY. Dr. Thompson, let's get back to you, please. Um, what's going on with mental health in our communities right now? I mean, what do you, is it a result of the pandemic, or what do you see? So I, I wish I had a really simple answer to you, like, you know, social media or pandemic or extraordinarily challenging uh, economic dislocations 
or very significant changes in the way our our communities are structured in the demography of our communities. But truthfully, I think um, it's a combination of all those things. It's also a combination of the fact that um, in that context, the United States as a, as a society, as a country, is really struggling trying to figure out what our relationship is with each other and, um, and how we uh, address um, and take care of each other, um, what we do about the challenges that we uh, face individually and collectively. So I, I think that maybe the simplest way to boil it down is that there are a lot of things going on that are putting a tremendous amount of stress and strain on, on people in our communities. And at the same time, the resources that are useful and necessary for people to have to address those challenges are in fact actually eroding and, and kind of coming apart at the seams. I, I sometimes think about it, and this is you know very simplistic perspective, but maybe helpful. There's a, a movie that came out in the 1980s that I used to watch with my kids called The Neverending Story, which is uh, was before there was a lot of uh, computer generated um, you know animation, so it has sort of puppets and other kinds of things in it. But it's it's um, it's a story about a young boy who who's reading a book, and um, in the book, uh, something called the Great Nothing is sort of overtaking the world. And what is required to fight against the great nothing is the invention of this young man's imagination to have his imagination set on fire uh, and to uh, to overcome the great nothing. I feel like we are facing a great nothing. There's something that is challenging our capacity to link with each other and to make connections and to have real social relations of of meaning across all the boundaries and all the challenges that our society brings to us and um, for some reason those those things have been eroded i think part of that is the the sort of the economic ways that we have organized a society in which everybody is sort of for themselves and not for anybody else <clears throat> we've kind of individualized ourselves to the degree that we don't have connections and capabilities to deal with the challenges that come when you are so isolated and so disconnected. So I think um, I think in, in the short way to describe this then is that we are overcome with a great nothingness of social isolation and disconnection. And that means that we don't have the resources to deal with the challenges that come with that. And, um, and we're in a hard place because that is a continuing sort of circling of the drain. Um, on top of that, we have very significant challenges that we have to solve and we're having trouble solving them from climate change to how we build an economy that takes care of everybody to how we address the very many different kinds of social identities that exist in this country. All those challenges and we are not able to pull ourselves together to solve them, which means that they continue to persist and put more pressure on folks. So, and, and then mm -hmm. COVID. Then COVID comes and makes everybody even more disconnected. And now COVID's gone and we don't really, or COVID's not really gone, but it's, its impact is not the same, obviously. We don't really know how to, to move on beyond that. And um, the youth of the country are in, we use the word crisis, it's a mental health crisis. I actually think it's a mental health emergency. Uh, it's, it, we, we, we are soft peddling it when we call it a crisis as opposed to an emergency. Uh, we are, we've been facing a challenge with the deaths of despair, the extent of despair that's uh, abroad in this country tied to the social isolation and disconnection are really just manifest. 
All these things, of course, make it even harder for people who have disabilities, especially psychiatric disabilities. So it's it it's a double curse for everybody, not not just for um, the folks who are challenged, but but folks who already have other kinds of medical and psychiatric challenges. It's they have even more of it now because of the uh, the challenges. And here we are at this moment. I'm I'm done with my rant in one second. That's okay. <laughs> this is this is terrific. Keep going. Here we are in the last moments of. Um, in last moments of the extension of Medicaid and Medicaid people will know people was was extended so if you um, in the past before COVID every year you had to recertify for Medicaid and if you got a job or if your economic circumstances changed you know you could come off Medicaid or you could go back on to Medicaid it was sort of a churn constant churning back and forth during COVID, they said, no, we're not going to do that. If you're on Medicaid, you're going to stay on Medicaid as long as there is a COVID emergency. Well, now the COVID emergency has gone away, and those folks who have been going on and off Medicaid in the past, and now we're on Medicaid solidly for a couple of years, are now going back on and off Medicaid. And some people who are desperately in need of health insurance are going to go off of Medicaid because they have a little bit too much money. Now, too much money doesn't mean they have much money. It just means they have too much for Medicaid, and they're now going to lose coverage. And I, my feeling is, you know, we've all been through a terrible time. There is nothing that the community, that the population is coming out of this terrible time to show what we've earned by dealing with what we've just been through. You know, couldn't we mm -hmm. have just continued Medicaid for people couldn't we have just figured out a way to continue to provide um, the child tax credit so that we, we had eliminate we had we had decreased child poverty by 50% during covid couldn't we have just continued that couldn't the american public have earned something by what we did to deal with covid especially people who are first uh, you know on the uh, first line the front line uh, essential workers who are the folks who are most likely, by the way, to lose Medicaid, right? Because they've got some income and now now they're not going to be able to afford health insurance or the health insurance they get is not going to be able to cover the challenges that they have. So you just wonder, where is the caring in our society and where is the recognition that a lot of people sacrificed a tremendous amount during this period of time? What have they earned as a result of that? And um Unfortunately, it doesn't appear that it's very much, if anything. Bridget, in your work at Visible Hands, what's the most common mental issue that you deal with on a daily basis? One of the things that we consistently hear, and it took a while to kind of run them run them through and, and really go to the core issue, because people either, one, don't know what they're feeling, two, don't have the words to identify, identify with it, or three, use very large words that can mean a number of things. So when we began to look at the language and what people were saying in rounds, the consistent, if you will, umbrella issue is overwhelm. So overwhelm could mean I'm anxious about getting up in the morning. Overwhelm could mean I'm depressed about my day not uh, in my remote office being by myself and not having the synergy of others. So overwhelm is the consistent thing that we have. And I think that there's, to Ken's point, there's a number of things in our culture that have contributed to that. 
I call it literally relentless toxic stresses at a population level. So it's a public health issue of relentless toxic stresses. And then that cascades down to the individual. But we also have an, an, a value in our in our culture, actually, of individuality. And we were kind of formed on that. But that individuality has now transcended into how we handle mental health, how we handle physical health, which is if I have an issue, I go to a counselor and it's between you and I. It's confidential. It's HIPAA. It, there are so many elements of how we ingrain individualism that it almost becomes detrimental now as an issue. And so retrain, you know, we're conditioned to certain things. So teaching people to recondition, giving them the support, giving them the basis to change the conditioning that it is okay to look at the person next to you, to talk to them. It can be safe in a moderated way, particularly with ICT, that the individual capacities and capabilities can address these relentless toxic, toxic stresses and can address the overwhelm. Doctor, is it possible to really lower the anxiety level of a group of people with cognitive therapy only, or is some medical is some uh, you know do, do people sometimes need some medication? So um, you know what what we found with ICT in, in a large study in Brazil is that people who attend ICT, the number of uh, people who go on for further medical psychiatric care decreases. So people get a lot of resource and capability out of participating in ICT to the point that some of them don't go forward and look for more clinical resource. But that doesn't mean that nobody goes forward, right? It, we're, we are by no means suggesting that the, that the clinical method, the way that I work every single day taking care of patients is, is, is a totally fruitless and useful enterprise and, or doesn't need to be done. It's very clear that uh, in certain circumstances and in certain uh, situations, people need uh, additional resources and capabilities and clinical attention, medications among them to help them manage and deal with challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, I have, um, I have uh, hypertension and I exercise and I watch my diet and I also take uh, my antihypertensive medication because I don't want to have a stroke. So I want to do all these things. So we, we see these things as being additive and cumulative for the person. But we also see, I think, an important role here that in terms of lowering the temperature, that it is really important for people in a community to feel and have connections with each other that tie them together, that give them meaning and give them uh, uh, some purpose and allow them as a community to create the circumstances where everybody can be healthy and where the community can be healthy. And, and it's, uh, it's in that process that we see this, this interesting sort of paradox. In an ICT, people only talk about themselves. In some ways, you could say it's extremely self-centered. You only talk about your own feelings. But it turns out in this paradox, and this is where the visible hands kind of comes in, that it is the hands of other people that allow us to feel the thoughts and feelings of other people that allow us to actually make ourselves, to constitute ourselves, to put ourselves together. That's what ICT taps into. It, it allows 
for a large group of people to share feelings and ways of managing and coping with those feelings in a way that's unprecedented in, in the work that we do generally in communities. It's, it's, um, it's not pathology-based. You know, anybody in a community can participate. It's not focused on, you know, one particular disease or another. And it is really looking for the strengths and capabilities that people have. So in some ways, it's also self-affirming. It, it helps people and communities develop some sense that they actually do have real resources and capabilities within their midst. Ed, do you see working with visible hands here in the uh, near future? I certainly hope so. Uh, everything that Dr. Thompson and, and Bridget are talking about resonates very, very much so with the Pool Institute for Health. You know, uh, Dr. Thompson is talking about, you know, developing capacity uh, in a group to uh, uh, be able to have the strength and, and the ability to support one another and to gain that uh, support from your neighbors. Uh, those are the very same kinds of concepts that we're thinking about in terms of community problem solving on other issues like housing, like education like food and nutrition. And so developing the capacity, as Bridget said uh, a minute ago, to to have human development uh, is extremely important. Uh, and um, certainly uh, we have a long history in this country of kind of uh, deciding what a neighborhood needs without really checking in with the neighborhood. So uh, we certainly don't wanna replicate mistakes of the past to think a little more clearly about how do we make sure that we're we're talking with the residents, the people who live in community, uh, and understand what their needs and interests are, and what their priorities are, and take it from there. So it all it all uh, just uh, integrates, if you if you'll let me use that word, uh, very very well. Uh, and uh, I certainly hope we'll have more opportunities to work with uh, Bridget and Dr. Thompson and Dr. Barreto in the future. Okay, now we are out of time on our online version of Health Beat. I'd like to thank Bridget Hasick, Dr. Ken Thompson, and of course, Ed Meehan. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Until next time, have a great evening. <laughs>